everybody, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network. Uh, we are the horror movie podcast that covers every single horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. That means we get the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to horror. <laughs> and folks, we're going to leave it up to you to decide what today is. Uh, I am Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my co-host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we tonight? I'm doing great. And like you said, with the good, the bad, and the ugly thing, I th- I think uh, Gareth, a friend of the show, said it best when we said we were about to record it. He said, uh, Godspeed and good luck. I <laughs> so know. That's, that's the kind of vibe I'm going with this time. We're going to try to have some fun with our coverage of Creep Show 3 tonight. So it's another franchise we're putting to bed. And if you're listening, it is actually by the time this comes out, um, this is going to come out just before the one-year anniversary of our first show. Um, so I can't wow. think of any better way to celebrate than <laughs> Creep Show 3. So, I mean, we've covered, in a year, we've covered the Scream series, Friday the 13th, Halloween, um, the Blair Witch Project, Critters, Poltergeist, and now creep show in the lost boys and i think overall like it's been a really positive experience revisiting these movies and in my case with things like critters and even things like poltergeist 3 um seeing them for the first time Mm -hmm. i would say that like this as much as we bagged on the lost boys the first i believe it was the second one um this is probably the low point in terms of like anything we've covered <laughs> so far. Oh, oh, I agree with you a hundred percent. And like, I mean, that's why I think I can't stop laughing. It's just like, this is the show that we celebrate a year anniversary right. of doing our podcast. And it's easily, and you know, like I'm sure I'll end up saying no offense to the people that made it like multiple times. I want uh, them to be offended. <laughs> I want them to be ashamed. But this is definitely, I yes. think, the low point of our whole run so far. How it's, dare it's, you? Yes. <laughs> oh God, um, I cannot. I cannot wait to hear what what AJ has to say. Yeah, that should be fun. So um, we have, I think, Jerry and I have done everything in our power to avoid <laughs> recording this episode. Um, you know, we originally it should have been out a week ago, and we were running behind. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, we have, like, the script reading. That can be our main episode this week instead of the bonus episode. Um, I was like, great, we'll do that. And then we were going to record, like, Wednesday night and then Thursday and then last night. And (laughs) I kept being like, you know, we can record tomorrow. I would Um, just jump at it, too. Oh Yeah, yeah, and Jerry's like, yep, great, no problem, let me know. Um, So, and then... uh, (laughs) Guest, our returning guest, um, AJ Bowen, who is the uh, who's features prominently in the second segment of the movie. Um, he's going to join us tomorrow night, and we're going to add that to the end of the episode here. Um, but we're just like, all right, we have to rip the bandaid off at this point and talk about 2006 Creep Shows three. But I think what we're going to do because we really. I like to celebrate the things we talk about. Um, it can sometimes be fun to be like snarky and negative, but I think 
especially right now, like, I think this is a time to kind of celebrate things more than, like, rip on them. So I think we're going to smatter in at the end some talk about the Creep Show anthology series that is on Shudder, um, which I think is, by and large, very positive. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was a huge, huge fan of the series, and I can't wait for season two. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, I I think it'll be fun to talk about that, too. That and... I mean, I, I, you know, even the films that we've covered that I haven't been big fans of, like, I, I think the Halloween 6 episode was actually one of my favorite episodes that we did, even though I'm not, like, a fan of that movie at all. I, I think that sometimes even if the movies aren't that great, it still leads to good conversation about them right. and kind of their potential. So, dude, I'm stoked. Right. I think that happens when you have someone like when we did Halloween 6, we had uh, Anya Stanley on who champions that movie and i've come to really appreciate it and i think i would put that you know if i had to pick four halloween movies to watch every season i think that would be one of the four that would make my cut because i really enjoy it now especially that producer's cut um was it jinx that was on for our um book of shadows episode yeah yeah and that was like a really fun spirited and i still hate that movie but i love that conversation that we got to have with him we couldn't find anyone that was willing to come <laughs> on and go to bat for creep show three and i think we tried for like a month well, there, there were people there were people that were straight up like nope that movie doesn't exist no. i will never say it does yeah. They're like, like you, you mean got... Tales from the Dark Side? Like, no, we mean we mean Creep Show Three. They're like, no, nope, I'm out then. <laughs> so, but you know, honestly though, uh, with it being the year anniversary of starting, I, I think what you said was right. Kind of learning to appreciate things through this. I mean, to the, I mean, still, I'm not a fan of the Screen series whatsoever. But like, I loved those conversations so much mm-hmm. that it kind of gave me a newfound respect. For yeah. those movies, even if they're um, and even if they're not my cup of tea, I have like a newfound respect for a lot of those movies that we've talked and about. I went back and rewatched the Scream one through three, uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Like basically by Wednesday afternoon, I was so burned out from working um, and just mentally drained that Thursday I was pretty much useless. Mm-hmm. So. Thursday for me was like I am on the couch under some blankets and I did like a rewatch of Scream 1, 2, and 3, um, which are like comfort food movies to me. And that is kind of kicking off a big like 90s slasher movie rewatch for me, Um, which even though like I don't necessarily love 90s slasher movies, like I can't help but think that there are so much fun. So we were watching last night, our family movie was urban legend. And then uh, Claire and I followed that up by watching like the first third of Valentine, um, both Ooh, done by, done by Jamie Bridges. I think it is right. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love Valentine. Yeah. Valentine. I was genuinely shocked by the first death in that movie, which is funny because you think, you know, that especially because it adheres to the scream formula. You think, you know, it's so well, but I was genuinely shocked when that one occurred. Um, and I'm yeah. like, this is really good. It does have that kind of um, <clears throat> every main character in this film is a douche that you can't wait to die going for it. But at the same time, like, holy crap, that cast is just gorgeous. Yeah, it's great, great. Oh. Uh, this week I've been showing my kids uh, a lot of my favorite movies. 
uh, like The Thing, John Carpenter's Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my older ones had seen it, but my younger ones haven't. So we showed it to them, and they were just – it was so cool to watch them see these movies that, like, were huge for me growing up and to mm-hmm. kind of re-experience it for the first time through them. Because, you know, like, there was a couple times where my daughter made, like, a barfing sound like she thought she was going to throw up. <laughs> and it was just, like, the greatest thing ever to watch. And then we followed that up with the uh, the 2011 prequel. And, you know, I you know I'm, I might be in the minority, but I, I really enjoy that one. Uh, I mean, it's obviously not Carpenter's movie, right. but I, I think it's fun. It's a fun little, like, you know, it'll set in the same universe kind of right before the, the Carpenter movie thing. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I just despise about that movie is all of the practical effects being replaced with CG. Like, right. you know... When you have a movie like The Thing that is so just wonderful and it's a mar- it's just a marvel to look at as far as effects, you get a movie that was filmed with practical effects like the prequel and just kind of remove them and add like stuff that just pulls you out of the movie. So, I mean, that's kind of been my week. Yeah, that's that, that is always a tough thing when you especially when you have something so as groundbreaking as the thing was with Rob Bottin, and then you go to like, well, what can an animator do? And it never holds up. Like it never looks nearly, it never looks nearly as good overall. And it well, never... there's, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, uh, there's that article that came up this week. I think it was that John Squire shared through Blade Disgusting mm-hmm. about the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, you know, cause it's the 10 year anniversary. And mm-hmm. one of the, I think, special effects artists or someone, I don't remember the, the article, you know, in detail, but one of them were saying that the actual makeup for Freddy in the remake was actually a lot cooler when they were, like, actually applying it on him on set, that a lot of it where it went wrong was the animators came in after the fact and kind of took over and, like, added a bunch of CG stuff to the look. Yeah, I believe that. So, I, I mean, absolutely. And that's another movie, like, really quickly – like, you know, everyone is quick to, to slam the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, and, you know, I'm one of them. I, I just do not like it. But, I mean, the original script to that is so good, and there's so much of that movie that was reshot that, like, a lot of these movies – a lot of these movies start out as something kind of great, and they end up, like, you know, kind of the opposite, you know? And, uh, like, we're, we're so quick to, like, blame, I think, the wrong people, right. you know? Well, I know that we're going to get to – the Elm Street series, hopefully sooner than later. I think yeah. we have another like big undertaking in front of us, and then maybe we'll do something that was a little bit lighter and f- more fun. Or not more fun, but lighter and less research driven. Um, yeah. But I do want to get to like Elm Street sooner than later because that is totally. my Halloween series yeah. overall. Like I grew up a huge Fredhead, and I really can't wait to cover. Those uh, I actually before doing like my 90s rewatch, I've done like Elm Street one through five so far in the past week. And I just absolutely I love those movies. And looking back at the remake, I think there's two major problems with it. And it's probably it's one of my least favorite movies of the past 10 years. And there's two things I think really went wrong with it. Um Number one, there were too many moments that were spent trying to recreate moments from Wes Craven's movie rather than forge its own path. Like, we have to have Freddy pop through the wall. We have to recreate the bathtub scene. And the problem you have with that is all you're doing is drawing attention to what came before it and what was really done better. Yeah, Um, and the, the tonal shift 
Mm-hmm. Like, like they, they were trying to go with something a lot darker and less comedic, less of that pop culture Freddy that we all grew to love. Mm-hmm. But then they would throw like quotes from Nightmare on Elm Street Four, you know, how's this for a wet dream? And like one liners right. like that. And it's just like, you know, just figure out what tone you want to have right. and stick with it, you know? And those first two Elm Street movies are very dark. Yeah. But yeah. the the thing is you have characters you like. I mean, you like spending time with Grady, you like spending time with Lisa, you like spending time with Nancy and Glenn um, and Tina. You enjoy being around them as opposed to this remake where everyone is so dour that it's just they're not fun to watch and you don't have any empathy for them. Um, And I think the second big problem I have with the remake was it was made by people that had zero passion for it. Yeah. you literally had a director in Sam Bear who had multiple times told them, no, I don't want to make this movie. You know, Bear had cut his teeth in um, really iconic music videos. Yeah. He's the director of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um, he's got a tremendous visual flair. He's just like, this just is not something that interests me. But they just kept coming back to him and giving him better offers. And, you know, they just wore him out eventually. But you, it just his heart wasn't in it. And then you have uh, is it Rooney Mara who is your Nancy yeah, Rooney Mara. who you know has never had anything good to say about her time making it and said like you know when I auditioned for the role I knew I didn't want it and as soon as I I walked out of my audition I'm like crap they're gonna give it to me and it's like well no one's forcing you to take this movie um, and it, it's a slap in the face I mean it's one of those things where you hear that. Where um, I'm trying to think, is it Christine Cassidy or Kate Cassidy who plays Katie, uh, Cassidy, yeah, Katie yeah. Cassidy, who I think, you know, really gives one of the few very good performances in the movie. Like maybe she could have been your Nancy overall. And maybe you have like a different a different tone that gives you maybe a little bit more. And even like a, a Kyle Gallner, who's usually very good at everything he's in, he's just given nothing here to really work with. And what's funny is Gallner, yeah, no, totally, I agree. Gallner's one of the only people that doesn't speak highly of the movie, but like at, he, he tries to defend what it could have been. Like I, he's such a positive person on like right. social media that like I, I love just reading his stuff. But like you could tell that he, what he – it was a different approach than what, what Rooney Mara had. You know, like you said, that story of her saying that, you know, she really didn't want it from the beginning. You could tell Kyle Gowner, like, what he signed up for, he was stoked to do. Yeah. You know, and that's just not what ended up happening. So Yeah, so I know we're we're not here to talk about <laughs> that movie tonight. I we're know we're going to get so to hard. it. Yeah, we're going to get to it eventually, but we're going to go from one train wreck to another now and 2006 creep show three uh co-directed by anna clavel and james glenn duddleson um and what really bums me out we've only had two movies now directed by women and they've been critters three and creep show three so not exactly getting the strongest cut from do you know what I mean? Like, we're not exactly sure. No, no, no. no, totally. Like, we always strive to be as inclusive as possible. And, like, I would love to talk about these great franchise movies that are helmed by, by women, you know, female directors. Or directors exist, directors of, you know, LGBTQ and anyone else. It's just, 
when we look at all these classic franchises or just franchises in general, what sucks is like so little of them, so few of them like are directed by women, and it, it's kind of unfortunate. This one, like fuck, man, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to be positive, but like, so, why, yeah, go ahead. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you first, my friend. No, 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 no. I was just saying that, like, yeah, I mean, it kind of sucks. This is the only second second movie we've you know talked about that was directed by a, a, a female director, but like. This one's rough. I, this I think is a rough go, it, it really is. And I, I think you know right from the beginning that you're in for a different movie because mm-hmm. like there is no there isn't a single trace of the what made the first two creep show movies uh, work. You know, uh, there's no trace of Romero and King. There's there's even the 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 format's different. You know, it's not like it's not like an anthology that feels like, you know, EC Comics. That stuff is gone in this movie, like a hundred percent. And it's it's not like a group of stories that all feel like come up in stories from EC Comics. This one feels like it's the horror, like a horror fans like, you know what? I'm gonna make the horror pulp fiction, and it just does not work for that reason and many others. No, you're right. Like the whole comic book vibe has stripped away from this movie completely. You had done – I tried to do a little research on the background of this movie, and I could find very little. So we were talking off air a little bit. What were you able to find out? Like how did this movie come to be? Well, the the company that made it, that funded it, Taurus Entertainment, like they're widely known – I guess not widely known, but like in the horse circles, known as the company that kind of takes pre-existing things and makes like really shitty sequels that have nothing to do but, you know, like nothing to do with the previous film, but like the name, like Day of the Dead 2 Contagion or uh, what was another that they did. Oh, Night of the Living Dead 3D. You know, like it, it's easy to, to make another Night of the Living Dead movie when no one really owns it, you know, and but I mean, this, this company is kind of like asylum before asylum you know what i mean like 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 take whatever fans love and just kind of like cash in on the on the the, on the name i mean i don't know if this is accurate but i was reading that creep show 3 had a 3.5 million dollar budget and like i i know from speaking to aj you know and just like regular conversations throughout the years like i think this movie was filmed on like a film like a back lot somewhere like maybe warner brothers or something like that Mm mm-hmm but it's weird because it just does not feel like that. It feels like very no. poorly thrown together in the stories. It feels like it's almost like a prototype, and I don't mean that in a, in a good way, of what we would see with greater success in Trick or Treat. You know, it, it doesn't feel like Creepshow. It feels like another Trick or Treat movie where it's just like a whole bunch of stories that are somehow connected by a homeless person who in, like who ends up maybe being, you know, like – the the creep i think the hot dog vendor was the creep the hot see that's what i'm saying like i I, it's hard do you know what i mean like i i I don't understand this movie at all like i i I know what they're trying to do but it's just there's so many movies that have like just a name tacked on but this one is i think the most alien from what it started out as it's it, it baffles me Right, it does. And you said this had a three and a half million dollar budget, and it feels like three point two million dollars went in right back into the producers' pockets. Yeah, you know, it feels so 
I think that's one of the things about it is it feels cheap. Now, there are within the stories themselves, like there are five segments within the stories themselves. There are actually some kernels of good ideas. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I'll say are is there's a couple things that I enjoyed in terms of like, OK, done well. This could have been like a really fun story. Um, and there are a couple performances that I won't call them good, but I will say that it made it a little bit easier to get through those segments. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll talk. So I think we'll do what we did with Creep Show and Creep Show Two, and we'll go segment by segment through them mm-hmm. and just kind of give our our brief thoughts on them. Like this is not going to be the most in depth, you know, show that we produce here in terms of <laughs> dissecting the movie, but we're going to try to have some fun with it. Yeah, um, yeah. So the first segment of Creep Show Three starts off with uh, Alice, which is about a teen girl who doesn't like her family and wishes she was part of another family. And somehow every time her dad presses a button on his brand new universal remote control, she gets zapped into a different reality that looks just like her own. But at first, like she is zapped into like a different family who happens to be African-American and not white. And that's that's the joke, basically. Um, that's literally the whole joke. Then a Latino family, that's the joke again. Um, and eventually she becomes super mutated and warped. And then she's eventually turned into a rabbit and <laughs> made the pet of like her next door neighbor who happens to be some sort of like mad professor. And it, and it's all connected, but like I think what see this one I think is one of the ones that, that it just rubs me the wrong way right from the beginning, mm-hmm. like so hard. It's it's like if I remember correctly, because you know I, I watched it this last week and I ordered, I've already been trying to like pour bleach on my brain, but uh, if I remember correctly, didn't like the dad or someone push like the subtitles button and it turned her into like Hispanic? Possibly. Or, or like the color button and it turns them into like African Americans. Yeah, like, like it's, it's so it's so rough. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry, listeners. I mean, without going into detail, like I, I was accused earlier this week of of just you know being too hard on misogynistic stuff and how how we should reevaluate things. So I'll tone that down. But uh, this one is like a perfect example of that. Like the, like you said, that's the joke. That's the whole thing. Is like. Oh, you know, you're not happy with this. Here, let's let's do subtitles and turn you into, you know, a, a, a you know, a Latino family. Right. It's just it's weird. And yeah. I noticed like really little things with it, and maybe um, like digging here, but like when her the first time you meet her, nor her regular family, the grandmother who's there makes a comment like, you know, if the girl doesn't eat, she'll have no ass and never land a husband. And mom is like, that is no way for the dean of a university to speak. Um, But as soon as she is like placed in uh, an African-American family and a Latino family, those characters are no longer deans of universities. Like that line is dropped because the, the, um, the the storytelling device here is every time she shows back up at the house, basically the same conversation plays itself out in the exact same tone in the exact same way 
just with like a different family and the difference here being like grandma once she's no longer like a white lady is no longer um the dean of a university and you know i mean do i think that's like an intentional racist thing no but it sticks out it definitely like i'm like there's that's not a good look no, not at all. And, you know, we can have the argument that uh, – I don't mean you and I, I just mean people in general. We can have the argument that, like, oh, this was a different time and those things weren't – like, PC. But, like, I don't think it's being PC at all. It's also 2006. I, it's not that different. Th- yeah. Time. Like, I, I don't – like, I think maybe we throw that around a little too, like, too often. Like, oh, you know, PC – like, I think just being a good person isn't being politically correct. Right. It's just being a good person. You know right. what I mean? And, like, I'm not saying that the filmmakers behind Creepshow 3 was intentionally trying to, like, be racist or no, anything. No, not at all. Not at no, all. No, not at all. It just does stand out a little bit. No, totally. It's, it's funny. Like, we oh, – like before this whole, like, shelter-in-place thing went down, probably, like, you know, like, in February, we had to call in a conference with, like, one of our students' fathers because the kid was just, like, completely – was just giving one teacher in particular like a hard time every single Mm. day to the point where she like had had it. So we called a conference in and as soon as like the other teachers found out the kid's dad was coming in, they all volunteered their time to go to this meeting, which is never done. Mm. Every single one of his teachers wanted um, to get a crack at him basically to say like your kid's being a dick. Um, So, during the meeting, the dad said, um, you know, geez, I remember when I went to school like 30 years ago, you could, you know, pull girls hair and call them names or like grab them on the butt. And it was like it was no big deal. And we were like, you're right. Like 30 years ago, you could do that sort of thing. It wasn't right then. And thankfully, we've moved forward to the exactly. point where like that's not tolerated. Um, like just because that sort of thing did happen, it doesn't mean that it's okay to do it. Um, that it was okay then or now. So I just that's why I couldn't help but think of that as we were talking here. No, totally. Uh, but yeah, I mean, after that, I mean, like you said, she ends up being a rabbit, and it kind of has these like weird parallels with Alice in Wonderland with her name Alice right. and like the the thing. And then eventually we, we, I think, I mean, maybe jumping ahead or maybe I shouldn't go into details so much, but like it ties together later on. And that, and that's the thing with this, this movie. Like, I love when movies do that successfully. I mean, I think Trick or Treat is one of the best war anthologies mm-hmm. of all time because it, it's so immersive that it gets you into that world where you kind of lo- want to look out for how this one played into a previous one and that kind of stuff. I think, yeah. unfortunately where Creepshow 3 goes wrong, uh, is this maybe it just wasn't executed with that much precision no. to where, like, as a as a viewer, you kind of don't care that it's connected. Right. You just kind of want to get to the next one, you know? It, it feels, I think, because of the cheapness of the way it feels. Like, the at one point, like, she turns into this, like, horrific kind of pus monster, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a not actually not a terrible makeup effect overall like it's actually pretty well done but it has a weird comedic tone to it like number one the music that loops underneath it it kind of feels like it wasn't really composed so much as they went on to some like royalty-free music site found a clip 
and just looped that 30 seconds in over and over again so they wouldn't even have to pay like the 99 cent download fee for it like no totally and then there was these like very odd tonal shifts where like a postman shows up and doesn't really comment that she's become this like pus monster and it just kind of like leaps in and out of frame and it's just it's weird like it just doesn't like nothing makes any sense at all in terms of the the movie no totally and i think one of the things you know i'm not just gonna uh, all negative uh with this one i think one of the things that i i kind of do like about creep show three uh is like you said like that that makeup design thing it's not that bad in fact i i think some of the makeup in this movie as far as effects is kind of really cool oh yeah i mean it was done by greg mcdougall who i mean i'm a huge fan of this guy's work because i mean i'm like a special effects junkie that's like something i'm just so into uh and listeners if you are i would highly recommend picking up heather wixon's book uh for some weird reason the title slipped in my brain but i mean i i have it all is it monster squad yes 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 Oh, dude, I, I love that book so much. I mean, I'm I love special effects, makeup effects, and Greg McDougal. I mean, he's done recent stuff. I mean, Doctor Sleep, you know, like Ma was really good. I mean, even back in, I mean, he he's worked consistently doing really great makeup stuff uh, just throughout the years. I mean, he even worked on I, I think War of the Worlds for Spielberg. Uh, I mean, just ton, the Purge, tons of stuff. So I mean I think the makeup in this in this movie is actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's kind of one of those things where you see a like I recently saw Exorcism at sixty thousand feet for a review I had to write and unfortunately it was one of the few negative reviews I've written in the last few months and it was filled with like great actors that I like like Adrian Barbeau, Kelly Maroney, Bill Mosley, you know Lance Henriksen. Uh, Kevin J. O'Connor, like these actors that I love, but it's like, it almost felt like they were doing the movie because they had like a Netflix bill to pay or something, you know, right. like, like they needed, they needed to keep their like Amazon prime account active. So they took this movie and that's kind of what, what creep show three feels to me. Like there's some good stuff in there, like makeup and that kind of stuff. And you know, it, it's just, it's just kind of the wrong movie to have their talents. in, I think, yeah. So we move from, the first segment to the second one called the radio. And again, this is one of the ones where there's a, a kernel of a good story idea here. You have mm-hmm. um, AJ Bowen where, I mean, you know, AJ really well, is this his first, um, is this his first on screen role or. Uh, I think one of them, I think he might've done some like shorts before this or uh, maybe some, like maybe an early movie or two, but I think this was like the first legitimately, Mm-hmm. Not big because I mean who who has seen Creepshow three? I mean right. this movie costs like a few couple to a few million dollars, and I think this is what he made just before the signal. If I'm not, if okay. you know, if if I'm right. So I mean this was kind of I think an important movie as far as his filmography. Mm-hmm. Like even if the the output didn't you know come out as that great, like it's it's definitely a stepping stone for any actor, and that kind of goes with the makeup effects thing that I was saying. Like for anyone, like for someone like. AJ, who was an upcoming actor at the time, like, why not jump and do this kind of movie? You know, like I would have done it. Mm-hmm. And and I I like this segment. Like I like I don't think it's good per se, but I think it's probably, in my opinion, the one standout segment because it has like these kind of almost like monkey paw like aspects to it. Right. 
which I mean, I, I love the monkey Paul, like the story of that. And there's even like a, a movie from, I think the nineties, I think it was like 93 called 20 bucks. Have you ever seen that one? I have not. Dude, it, I would highly recommend it. It's not a horror film, but it's kind of like almost like an anthology where the whole thing revolves around this $20 bill and it goes from pe- person to person and you kind of see how it's affecting each person. Like there's, I think, Brendan mm-hmm. Fraser, Elizabeth Shue, Steve Buscemi, Christopher Lloyd, William H. Macy. So many people were in 20 bucks. And that's what this segment reminds me of, this kind of like thing, this idea of finding something and it taking you over and leading you a specific way. And then, it'll, you know, the next person that gets it kind of does that. So, I mean, this is the one I kind of like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one is it's like AJ Bowen plays like a down on his luck security guard. He lives in essentially he lives in a brothel for lack of a better term. I mean, like he's basically lives in an apartment where like all of his neighbors are either pimps, drug runners, or prostitutes. Um, he there's like attraction between him and one of the other women that live there, and all he wants to do is basically get home after his shitty job as a security guard and listen to a ball game on the radio. And he can't even do that because it keeps breaking on him. So he buys like a new radio from a legless street person um, who, oddly enough, like says, I'll sell you a radio that works for $5 or a broken one for $10. Um, and you're like, why would I want a broken radio for twice the money? Um but this radio doesn't work, but what it does have is a kind of like, I guess, like spirit guide who it starts advising AJ, first advising him in buying real estate <laughs> and, uh, and diversifying his portfolio. Um, but, you know, AJ making minimum wage as a security guard doesn't have any, you know, cash to invest in diversifying a portfolio so she then advises him on how to steal three hundred dollars from a drug dealer um and then take care of anyone that might witness him doing that sort of thing so aj goes from a mild-mannered security guard to a thief and then dual murderer who you get the detective from the previous segment, who's the dad in the previous segment. He returns as a detective in this one, um, and he's just an awful – it's just awful um, <laughs> watching this segment. Um, and eventually AJ makes off with the radio, the $300,000 – and the um, prostitute that he has a crush on, he's warned again by the voice on the radio, don't do this. She's going to kill you first chance that she gets, which is what happens. And then in a surprise twist, she's murdered by one of the drug dealing pimps who apparently was – I don't get it. Like he was get setting them up all along or something. I don't know, but it's – it's about as bad as it sounds. It's one of the highlights and, in terms of the. See, it's about no, as totally. bad as it sounds, but it's it, it is. But what's some of the others? No, exactly. That's that's what I was saying. Like it's not good by any means, but I I think it's it's absurdity is like one of the only ones in this movie that I could just kind of giggle at. Yeah. You know, and like it seems like as an actor, AJ has like a, a good amount of roles where he's just being led to do things by like objects. 
Like, I did, like there's the Tom Holland's Twisted Tales that came out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And one of those shorts in that anthology, AJ played this guy who I believe had just murdered his wife or something like that. And his uh, GPS started telling, like taunting him as he's trying to drive to get away. And uh, that was another standout in that anthology. But uh, I, I think it, it's it's just funny. Like, who in the – you know, we have to suspend disbelief. But, like, I've always gotten a kick out of movies where, like, people to listen to things that are obviously – you know, like, I'm not going to take real estate advice from a walkie-talkie. You know? Right. <laughs> it's just fun. It's fun to watch. And, like, yeah, like, you know, the prostitute kills him. And then her pimp basically has another radio that we end up finding out was the professor who turned Alice into a rabbit. But the pimp that kills her is secretly like a vampire. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. Oh, my Lord. That leaves it almost just, makes you wish. Yeah. It almost makes you wish we were talking about the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Right uh-huh. Yeah. And there are very few things that like I would rather talk about. You know, more, you know, less than the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, you know, like if I got like venereal disease, maybe I would want to talk about that less than the Elm Street remake. But yeah, this is we're not we're not firing at all cylinders right so far. Um, This leads to the next segment, which I believe is called Call Girl, and it is about a serial killing call girl who is introduced briefly. And this is, again, like what we discussed like the way this movie operates it has characters from other segments kind of flit in and out of um each segment so this call girl rachel um is seen briefly in the fur in the previous segment and she ends up being this serial killing call girl like she goes she makes goes to her appointment stabs a dude makes off of his money and then leaves now how she hasn't been caught because you know, like as she's driving along, you can hear the news talking about like this, like there's a new serial killer who we believe is a prostitute who is killing all her like customers. She's leaving them their business card. They're calling on their cell phone. She has a website up that you could easily go into each victim's <laughs> web search. So, again, like I, you know, this harkens back to the previous segment where one of the characters is a really shitty detective. It's like she's basically... It's not even like she's leaving a trail for the police so much as she's like telling them to get in and ride shotgun with her. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. She, yeah it's, it's a doozy. Yeah. She winds up going to visit a, um, a customer, like a young, like 20 something college dude in the same neighborhood from the first segment, uh, right across the street from the professor's house and you can tell something is off right away with this guy. You know, he's, it's obviously, his, you know, like, oh, my parents aren't home. He doesn't want her going into certain parts of the house. So she leads him upstairs and the camera pans around and you see like three victims, which are the actual owners of the house, chained up and dead in another room. But little does he know that he's dealing with a serial killing prostitute. So she ties him up. They start to kind of fool around a bit, and he bar- she buries a knife in his chest. And you think that's going to be the end of the segment. Well, <laughs> we can't be so lucky. So after she showers and cleans herself off, 
you hear this voice like why did you kill me he's some sort of vampire of some sort or alien and it's a pretty cool makeup effect i would say right the whole yeah i like it um it kind of reminds me of like jerry dandridge in fright night like when he gets yeah. hit with the holy water oh, um, totally. you know like the really bug-eyed or uh was it amanda amanda yeah. beasley um when like she has like, her head is like made gigantic she has rows and rows of teeth like it's actually not a bad effect but he kills her and that is the segment yeah, yeah. what do we have to say about this one I think that oh god if there's one segment in the whole movie where it's just like man you guys had some strong drugs while making it mm-hmm. like it would you know I feel like every anthology has one segment where it's just like wow these people were having a lot of fun behind the scenes and I'm not saying that's the legitimately like the case but like this is the most batshit segment in the whole movie, I think. I mean, other than like a hunted hot dog or something. I don't know. I think the next one takes a bunch. You know, really? Tell me why you think this is the batshit one. Well, it's just just the idea of it. Like almost like sit like even listening to you give the synopsis right now, like it just made me like laugh because it's so absurd and mm-hmm. funny. Like it's it's a call girl who's also murdering people, and she thinks that. Like, she sees these bodies, she ties up this dude, kills him, and, and he ends up being a vampire, and he also drains her blood, and there's, like, it's it's almost, it's so weird to me. Like, the whole, se- this whole movie is, like, it's such an odd movie that I, I almost kind of recommend people checking it out once or twice. You know, go see Ooh. it. <laughs> You're Don't like, do that. Don't. Hard no. Hard no. <laughs> If you have a choice between injecting disinfectant into your veins to <laughs> stop the COVID or watching Creepshow 3, flip a coin is what I'm saying right now. Oh, flip Lord. Oh, Lord. It's, yeah. This was a rough one to get through. Um, yeah, and it's this is probably the most coherent of the segments overall. Like, it's probably the one, like, probably the closest thing that you have to a classic creep show segment where like the villain gets comeuppance through their own kind of evilness at that point. Like what? So it's the kind of the closest thing that you would have in terms of a story that fits in with like the first movie in particular. Um, The performance, I think because it's a little bit smaller in terms of the scope overall, it it tends to run a little bit quicker. It's probably, and to be quite honest, like your lead is fairly easy on the eye in a um, adult film star kind of way. Um, You know, it's probably the easiest one to kind of get through and power through when you're watching this one. I think, and, you know, I, I, I don't mean to overuse the word absurd, but I, I think it has that to that one. And I think the next one is definitely up there, too. It has, like, a plot. The next one has a plot. Uh, and the story is so weird that yes. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm i not trying to give our, our, our listeners, like, any false hopes and saying it's good because it's not. In fact, it's quite the opposite. But, man, they really, like, just took a swing for the fences with this movie. I honestly think you could have taken – this segment and the next segment and maybe even the radio. And if you rework the script a bit and put them in the right hands with the right budget and the right talent, 
these would have fit in as segments on the crypt creep show television series yeah and they might they might not have been the best segments they had overall but i think that they this is what i mean when i say like there are some kernels of some really good ideas overall when it comes to it and i just think it comes down to like the execution and there's always like something that like i'll talk a, a little bit about it in this next segment there's always something that derails it like just when you think like this is not terrible something in terms of the tone of it shifts so markedly and it just doesn't feel right at all that you just completely you can't help but like remove yourself from watching it and just start rolling your eyes so well yeah i mean it it reminds me a lot of vhs viral Whereas mm-hmm. the first two VHS movies, you know, I think as kind of somewhat problematic as the first one was, mm-hmm. uh, the, the consistent thing about the first two VHS movies is they could be very different from each other, but they kind of felt like, like they fit into the same movie still, like they still did, you know? Mm-hmm. Like like VHS 2, I never feel pulled out of it, even though I'm seeing like a death cult followed up by like an, uh, a kind of teenage Amblin-like teenager you know sleepover segment it kind of felt like the same one whereas vhs viral it just kind of felt like different short films thrown together mm-hmm. like like you'd have like Benson and moorhead segment in vhs viral which was i mean fucking cool i mean you know who doesn't want to see some skateboard punks fight like you know resurrected skeletons like that's cool yeah. but this movie reminds me of that in the sense that none of these feel like they would be in the same movie at all let alone right. like one that's supposed to be interconnected with each other. Yeah, even though like the three of the segments kind of take place in the same neighborhood and they all you have characters that kind of flit in and out of them uh, overall like they don't it doesn't work. Like they just don't seem connected mm-hmm. at all. So it they don't seem to exist in the same universe where you know watching Creep Show all of those films seem to take place in the same universe and then the creep show television series like when we talk a little bit about that shortly they're um gonna be like two shorts in particular that seem to take place like right in the same universe and it seems like a really clever use of it uh use of that device overall but here in the professors it's called the professor's wife like i actually like the performance mostly by the dude who plays the professor um and I'm trying to look him up, unfortunately, right now. I'm just, like, scanning through IMDb, and I had it up, and then I lost it over here. Professor Dayton, played by Emmett McGuire. He's this kind of daft, um, head-in-the-sky, mad scientist professor that's, like, a genius but a complete buffoon at the same time. Um, he In this segment, he's visited by two of his old students that are really excited to come visit him he's apparently on the cusp of this uh, amazing discovery and he's also about to get married and they can't believe he's going to get married because who's going to marry this giant weirdo and not only is this like 60 something bald weird professor about to get married he's going to marry like a stunningly beautiful woman who does not seem to kind of like kind of like understand what's going on for lack of a better term like she keeps bringing in hors d'oeuvres 
and like that's the running gag through this segment like Mm -hmm. here's some pierogi here's like some pigs in a blanket like every 10 seconds she's feeding these boys like some new hors d'oeuvre and she's like very attractive overall um for whatever reason the professor leaves to go run an errand i think to pick up the wedding cake and the students make the assumption that oh she's like a fembot basically for lack of a better term so he's like of course so they decide they're going to find the off switch on her so they do that by hitting her in the back of the head with a shovel and then dismembering (laughs) her and they're like cutting this woman apart and you know like oh my god look how realistic this is like look at all the veins and look the muscle culture and like the organs look real but there's no off shit there's no off switch what's going on here and then they come across like her um scrapbook and you come to find out like the reason she can't remember anything before meeting the professor is she's an amnesiac with long-term memory disorder and she's also was like i don't know if it's like a mail-order bride might be the that's, wrong that's term what but I, that's what i got out of it i think she was like a student that was coming over yeah. to a transfer student uh coming over to study but essentially they murder a real human being what the, crap you know, were they smoking like i know like, First of all, what class does this professor teach? Because if those student, if those are his students, like these they're idiots. These are his top students. These yeah. are his top students. These are his like, yeah. They go to his house. They think his wife's weird, so they automatically assume that she's a robot. So they dismember her and murder her. Like, who the fuck are these students? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> oh. it's it's grotesque. Um, but what the, makes it weird, like it, it has this weird, funny tone to it overall but at one point when the professor comes back he can't find the students or his fiance because they're when they realize what they've done they're desperately trying to like clean and cover their tracks and he's just like screaming their names out in this really comical way over and over again and there's these weird cuts and it's like such a bad creative choice you're like it's you just can't oh my god please end yeah oh right I um, uh, I was looking up that actor Emmett McGuire, uh, the play the plays Professor Dayton, and before Creepshow three, the only thing listed that he had ever been in is a movie from 1977 called The Worm Eaters. So I'm wondering, after decades of no acting, what inspired him to want to take on Creepshow three as his comeback project, which he has not been in anything since. It says. Uh, really? Am I looking at the wrong? Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at. Actor, I've seen him in like a few things that no one's ever heard of. But, okay, so may, uh, yeah, it's probably his IMDb just wasn't updated. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it's, it makes me feel know, better now. In all right, good. Oh, good job. But he was like his, he brings this weird kind of charm to the role overall. He's one of the few positives I would say of the, you know, and I'm not saying he's good, um, but you know. <laughs> I love how that's like been our go-to thing so far. Anytime like, we give a compliment to this movie, I can't and we're not saying enough. it's good, we're but... like <laughs> grading on a scale here, friends. We are grading on, you know, oh, in terms Lord. of like where the bell curve lies. It's more on the positive ledger, and that brings us to our final segment, thankfully, yes. a haunted, the haunted dog, dog. I think, and that it's was not about right? it's not about a dog. It's about a, a jerk doctor that basically 
make gives a homeless man a hot dog that he drops on the ground. The homeless man chokes to death on the gravel dog and then haunts this asshole doctor until the asshole doctor is scared to death. Yeah, that's really that's that's it. <laughs> but during that segment, we take this weird left turn where he goes to some sort of like he goes into the brothel from the radio segment goes into an apartment with the vampire dude from the call girl segment. And there's this giant party there with like all the beautiful people and designer drugs and whatnot. And then when the clock, he leaves there, it stays there for a moment. And it's the serial killer vampire dude from the other segment who then has all these other vampires with him and they feast on the unknowing people from the party. And it's this weird little detour for no reason whatsoever um it doesn't fit the rest of the segment there's zero reason to include it um the movie is over 90 minutes long so it's not like you needed to pad it with this extra five minutes in order to get like a feature length runtime it's just like yeah fuck it we need to have like a vampire serial killer drug party so we'll do that right now that and like if i'm not like mistaken is it the party where like you find out that the professor like didn't he give the people the the kind of possessed uh, walkie talkies too? Yeah, or... he's kind of involved with a legless dude. He's creating all of these like cursed objects, and then you know, in order to get them into the hands of the people, he's relying on a legless homeless dude to like hustle the wares for him. Because that's all you gotta do. Yeah, so that's how you gotta do that. Basically, you need that if you want to haunt people on the side. And there was something else weird with this segment. Oh, it's just like the doctor. Like the comedy comes from like you see him with the patients, and like someone comes in because she has like a rash, so he hands her like a weight loss brochure. Um, one girl has like, you know, I hurt my wrist. She's like, well, I need you to take off all your clothes. And she's like, I'm, I'm just going to leave. Just, you know, just like he's a real kind of dick. And he eventually gets scared to death by the ghost. You pull back to like the hot dog vendor. He turns around and his face melts like candle wax. And that is the end of creep show three. Thankfully. Yeah. Do you have anything to say about haunted dog? Like what is your, no, <laughs> like I'm, I'm so bad at this episode. I'm sorry, listeners. I just like it's it's a clusterfuck, guys. You know, like like there are there are like Mike said, there's kernels of good ideas, and that's awesome. And some of them some of them aren't that bad to watch as like a, a one time watch thing. Like I think the radio, and maybe uh, maybe the robot one. You know, like, it's so weird that, like, you know, it, those two, I think, are watchable. Yeah. But as a whole, it's it's just a big misstep. And I think a lot of that falls on Taurus Entertainment because they they own the they they own the copyright on the title creep show. You know, uh, maybe I, I, I don't know the specifics. So any of our if any of our listeners do know the actual story behind that, I'm sure Nat Brimmer does. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Nat has probably done 
six months of extensive research and has written 30,000 words on Creepshow 3. Dude, I love and that, dude. he probably wrote those words, like, over the weekend, like, on his iPhone. Yeah. While, like, every time he'd have a bathroom break, he would bang out 4,000 words yeah. on Creepshow 3. Yeah, a workhorse, man. But, yeah. Yeah, uh, Taurus Entertainment owns the name Creepshow. So that is why Creepshow 3 is called Creepshow 3. It's not a Creepshow movie, but, you know, it's, it's Creepshow 3, so we're including it. But I think what's interesting is when you have a company like Taurus Entertainment or kind of like a lot of those ones, they're in charge of this movie, and they're the ones that made the decisions. And when it goes into the Creepshow TV series that we're going to briefly talk about, uh, I think it's cool that there were other production companies – working on that one too to kind of like pull the rails and actually make sure it's true to what came before it. You know, Taurus was one of the producers on the TV series. I'm sure because they own the title creep show only, but I think creep show, the TV series is a good return to form. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some really like just genuinely fun, entertaining segments that I've just really enjoyed. And in ways that creep show three, just never yeah. Like, I, I just can't enjoy that movie. So, in 2019, um, Shutter Entertainment partnered with Greg Nicotero uh, from KNB to revive Creep Show, not as a movie, but as a six episode anthology horror series, each show having two segments. Um, and, you know, I know we know Greg Nicotero from his work on. Uh, in special effects, you know, working with Romero, um, obviously The Walking Dead. Um, K&B has done so much in terms of, like, pioneering special mm-hmm. effects overall. Even movies like, I know you hate Jason Goes to Hell, um, and you hate Worm Jason, but the effects in that movie are so fucking good. Oh, they're in good. In that movie yeah. overall. Um, and, you know... I think that I don't want to say underrated because that's not the case, but I think Nicotero is maybe underappreciated because I think when we talk about special effects masters in horror, we gravitate towards Tom Savini for obvious reasons. Um, but it seems like he sucks up all of the love. Does that make yeah. sense? What oh, I'm saying? Totally, um, man. I, I, you know, and not I'm that he's agreement. not, um, he's not that he is not, deserving of it he obviously is totally and completely deserving of it um but i think that there is room in the conversation for more love uh for people like nicotero who let's face it for a stretch of time he his run i mean like i think people watch the walking dead for the effects at the end of the day um especially given where some of the storylines have gone. And that has been like the number one television show for God, how many years now since 2006 or seven is how long has that been on at this point? You know, I've lost track. I think it came out after the second season, but no, no, you're right. I mean, Nicotero and KMB effects, uh, I mean, legendary. I mean, everything from like day of the dead to, I mean, even non-genre stuff. They won an Oscar for Dances with Wolves, mm-hmm. you know? Like, uh, And Nicotero has grown from special effects to a director, to a producer. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is, he 
and a lot like like you're saying a lot of people watch walking dead for the effects because what are they going to do next and like i think nicotero knows the importance of special effects and he makes the stories that he tackles you know very effects driven and he comes from a fan like right. he comes from being a fan of the genre i right. still think to this day one of my favorite interviews i ever did was with nicotero pretty early on in like my writing career and i remember he was just like at the end of the after after it was over he was just like yeah i mean it's so cool to do this like i read the site all the time and i was like what the hell yeah you know like Nicotero's a huge horror fan. Like he breathes this stuff. I went to the Creepshow panel at uh, I think it was Monster Palooza in in Los Angeles last year before the the show came on, and he spoke with what they were trying to do with such reverence that it was impossible not to just not feel that infectious energy that he puts out. Like if there's ever a monster kid that did good, it's Greg Nicotero, and I, I agree a hundred percent. He should be kind of I think lauded and appreciated just as much as Savini. It's always fascinating and it's always so enthralling to watch and listen to someone who's such a master at their work, talk about their work and talk mm-hmm. about what goes into it overall. And I think that goes doubly in an age right now where it seems like a lot of times ex- expertise is not valued as much as it used to be overall. And you run into these situations where like, eh, I don't need to listen to the experts. Like I can just Google something or yeah. I could do that if I wanted to do it. I know just as much as them. But when you hear someone that's a real expert and a real passionate person for something talk about their work and talk about their contributions in a way it always is like just there's so much value to be gleaned not just in that field but you take what they what made them so good in their field and you kind of look at your own life and how do you adapt it to your own your own skills and your own strengths when you want to kind of improve yourself overall and nicotero's no 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 go ahead go ahead I was like, Nicotero's story is so interesting because this is a, a guy who was a high schooler, basically ran into George Romero at a restaurant in Pittsburgh and said, you know, geez, Mr. Romero, I really like your work. I'm going to, you know, run my dad's doc, my medical supply practice one day. And I really like, you know, your work and I love special effects. And Romero just invited him on set to just start working with Savini and mm-hmm. start apprenticing under him and lo and behold like that shifted nicotero's whole career trajectory at that point well and even speaking on creep show the series what is so evident in it and what's great about having nicotero as the producer is he knows what made the original two movies work so well we we not only get that return to all these people that we love in the first creep show like that was one of the things that was so cool is seeing all these genre people that we just love to watch in that first movie. In this one, we get people like, I mean, dude, like Jeffrey Combs, you know, mm. like uh, uh, Adrian Barbeau, you know, Tobin Bell for the Saw fans, you know, David Arquette. We even get like Giancarlo Esposito right. from Breaking Bruce Bad Davidson. and like all this. Yeah, we Bruce get all Davidson. these people. It's it's I mean. Big boy from Outcast. No. <laughs> but you get that, and you get stories that are either written by or are adapted from stories by like Stephen King, Joe Hill, I mean Lansdale, Josh Mallerman that did Bird Box. I mean his segment House of the Head is my favorite in the entire season. Mm-hmm. You get John Skip, and you know David Shaw. I mean Splatterpunk Legends. John Harrison, who did the music for Creep Show, did a couple of them. I mean, right. if there's ever 
whether or not you like each and individual segment, there is that feeling that this very much feels like Creepshow again to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wanted to point out a few segments in particular. Um, all of them directed by John, or the three I'm going to point out first, directed by John Harrison. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned the House of the Head, which is, oh God, it's so much fun. So there's House, House of the Head, um, Night of the Paw, and Time is Tough and Musky Holler, all directed by John Harrison, who was basically the um, cinematographer for Creep Show, or I'm sorry, he did the score for creep show correct yeah i believe so score for creep show director of tales from the dark side uh worked with romero for years um and really just knew what made these stories click house of the head is so much fun and so clever and so funny um and i've watched it with my daughter just so i could scare the shit out of her basically um and i love this segment so i've done a lot of synopsizing so do you want to give the rundown on this one maybe for the folks that haven't oh totally totally. uh i have watched this episode so many times and what's great about this one is you know i don't know how your daughter reacted you said it scared her my kids it scares the shit out of them every time but within 15 minutes they'll be like can we watch house of the head again yeah like it's it's that kind of like that guilty pleasure, like, oh, no, this is going to scare the, the shit out of me, but I'm so into it. And even as an adult, like, this, it does the same to me. It's so freaky, but, like, I just can't get enough of this one. Basically, uh, these parents buy their daughter this kind of uh, dollhouse, and it's filled with all the different figures that she gets from a local uh, like figurine maker, too. And she gets, you know, she buys, like, an Indian, which is, like, a, a, th- a throwback to Creepshow 2, all this stuff. And out of nowhere, there's a severed head that appears in her uh, dollhouse, and it slowly starts brutally murdering the figurines in her dollhouse until she thinks it's going to get into the real world and get her and her family. It is so inventive and imaginative that, like, I love this one so much. And like I said, it was written by Josh Mallerman, who did the very popular Bird Box film for uh, Netflix a while back. Right. And what's great about this segment is Kaylee Fleming, who plays um, Evie in this segment, she's so much fun in this. She's so much fun to watch in this segment because she plays it so matter of fact. Um, Like when she sees the severed head in. Well, not only that, before she she sees the severed head and then she sees like these little dolls and. One of the really clever bits is the way the dolls react to the severed head in the mm-hmm. house. Like they start to pose in different ways or they look absolutely terrified. Um, and you have these little horror movie segments that kind of play out. Like every time she turns away, like they shift their positioning without you seeing it. So they're like gather around the staircase, peering up the stairwell um because there's a noise in the attic or they're cowering on the coach around uh, couch around one another and it's really fun and she accepts this without any hesitation there's no <laughs> and it's something that only a little kid could really do and you can kind of buy it how she's not like these things why are my dolls coming alive she's like my dolls are coming alive and they're terrified because there's this like severed zombie head in in here and she's like well how am i going to do this well i'll put a police officer in there because the (laughs) cop will get it and the cop is gutted and 
Um, she's like, well, maybe we need like a priest to do an exorcism. So the doll maker gives her like a Native American doll because those are very spiritual people. So and then he is dispatched of. Um, and you think it's going to end, you know, really bad for this girl. And then she just is like, you know what? I love the end of this because at she, a certain point she's like, I can't deal with this. And she just gives the dollhouse away to somebody else. I, and it's see, such a great ending. I love that ending for a couple reasons. One, because there's a little zinger before she gets uh, rid of the dollhouse where I like isn't like the head actually yes. under her bed or something like yeah, that? Yeah, and it's like a full-size head, not the little like thimble-size head. Yeah, head. the reason I love that part of it is as a parent, sometimes your kids just want to be assholes. Yeah. And after watching The House of the Head, that ending scene, you're, like having your kids see that, that is the quickest way to be like, oh, you're not going to bed? Well, guess what's mm-hmm. under your bed? Mm-hmm. And then instant, you know, it works instantly. But what I love about the ending is how just in movies like this, you usually get like the parents that just will not listen to their kids, you know? But at the end, like the daughter's just like, nope, I don't want it. And the parents are so fine with basically like giving it away. You know what I mean? Like it's it's one of those few movies like you see an anthology like Cat's Eye and the whole anthology Drew Barrymore's parents are just basically like calling her bluff, saying mm-hmm. she's full of shit, basically. These parents, I mean, you know, they listen to her right from the beginning. and That's kind of cool to see. Right. And there's a great relationship between the mom, the dad and the daughter. Mm-hmm. And like when she gives it away, they're like, well, looks like she just outgrew it. Like, it's OK. Kids outgrow things. Don't worry about it. There's like no pushback. They're, yeah, they're never. You know, she kind of keeps what's going on from them, but they're never mean to her. They're never yeah. cruel to her. It's really sweet. And I think that that is something that, oh, you know, I said started the show by saying how I'm watching a lot of 90s slasher movies. And it got me thinking how between that phase of movies and horror starting in 2002, 2003, the tonal shift in horror um, that went from being like in the late 90s to early 2000s, these really fun, snarky, self-referential movies to post 9-11 when you saw the art that came out at that time. It was really brutal. Cynical, the, colors, yeah. the colors were all muted. It was really cynical. And the characters, there was no hope. There was no light for any of these characters. This is just light and breezy and really fun. If you haven't watched... Um, the creep show series, or we haven't watched this segment. I would start here. Um, it's probably my favorite segment of the whole show. That what's what's funny is both of my favorite. If I had to pick two, because every episode has two different mm-hmm. uh, segments in it. If I have to pick two that were the standout for me, it was the first episode in sure. its entirety. You get House of the Head, which is great, and Gray Matter, which is directed by Greg Nicotero and mm-hmm. from a short story by Stephen King. I mean, if there's an, I think if there's uh, a segment in the entire season that kind of has like I think deeper themes to it the most, it's gray matter. You know, it's about the son who's so worried about his grieving father. You know, because his grieving father is using alcohol as a coping mechanism, right. and it kind of turns him into a monster, like literally, mm-hmm. in in the segment. You know, like I I love that one. And I, 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 it's such a good example. Those two are good examples of when the show really just succeeds. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a couple that I just wasn't a fan of. Sure. You know, it's it, like uh, I love David Bruckner 
I love his movies so much from the signal to basically anything he's done. But like uh, his segment, which is uh, if I remember correctly, it was the men in the suitcase, mm-hmm. you know, where there's a man trapped in a suitcase. Basically, if anyone causes him harm, he'll like, spit out gold. Right. You know, and See, like, I really that, like that. one. Do you? Yeah. That's cool. It, it's because it's silly because it's just like it's silly, but it plays on that classic creep show trope of greed. Like eventually the people get too greedy and yeah. they wind up in the suitcase. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, but I can I can see where like if it's, it is a bit silly. So I do agree with you there. What, what's great about that episode in particular, the one with the men in the suitcase, even though I'm not a fan of that one, is the other segment, All Hallows Eve. Mm-hmm. which is another one John Harrison did. Uh, that one I, I liked a lot too, because it, it pulls kind of the rug from underneath you. Whereas you think, you know exactly what's going on with the story mm-hmm. and you have these kind of like preconceived ideas of the characters and you think you don't like them. You think they're bratty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of like, God, why am I following these assholes? And then there's this plot twist towards the end that it kind of just breaks your heart yeah. and it changes how you feel about every single character in the whole thing. Right. And I love it when movies and, and shows do that. I like yeah. being fooled, you know, I like being like this big revelation. You're like, Oh wow. I was rooting for the wrong people, you know? Yeah. And, there's a real sadness to it. And I think that sadness works is because the first 20 minutes of that segment as like this group of kids, like it's about a group of kids on Halloween night that are going house to house. And basically terrorizing the families just by their mere presence but also there's this undercurrent um although it's not stated out loud that they're responsible for the deaths of a lot of other kids in the town on halloween night so they're going house to house and really just scaring the bejesus out of people just by being um and it's a really creepy undertone that runs throughout it that once like jerry says you get to that twist it becomes something much sadder and and heartbreaking no totally Uh, but that's what's so cool about the show i mean there are segments that just don't hit for me at times but as a whole it mm-hmm. reminds me of that feeling that I would get as a kid, you know, trying to beg my dad to stay up late so I could watch Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. You know, like my dad would want me to go to bed so he could watch Dream On on HBO. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it's like I wanted to watch Tales from the Crypt and not every episode from Tales from the Crypt hit me. You know, every episode right. was just like great, you know, but there were ones like. A Carrion's Tale with Kyle MacLachlan or, mm-hmm. or the the first, like, I think it's the second episode with Larry Drake as Santa Claus, like, you know, mm-hmm. all through the house. The ones that hit were great. Hit and hard, yeah. Even the ones that didn't do, like, that much for you, you were still excited to watch them. And I think that that's what's so great about Creepshow, the show, is that even though there's there's ones that I don't really, like, I didn't like skin crawlers very much. Oh, I dug that, that one. Roxanne Benjamin's, I dug yeah, that one. Yeah, I, I, I love Roxanne Benjamin as a director, and I think her other one, uh, Lydia Lane's Better Half, was it was really cool, too. Mm-hmm. But then in the same episode, you also get By the Silver Water uh, of Lake Champlain, which is directed by Tom Zavini. It was adapted from uh, a Joe Hill story. Like, you, you get, like, these very... I love the idea that you get two stories in one episode because they're very different, but they kind yeah. of fit in that creep show mold. That like even if one doesn't do much for you, there's always the other one that you're kind of hopeful for. And yeah. I think even at its worst, the show is still something I enjoy tremendously. Even like I mean, there are small nitpicks, 
uh, I think you and I kind of agree that we both think wish the creep had like did more in the yeah, show. Yeah, I wish the creep was more in kind of involved in the proceedings of it, or it had a little bit more of that comic book look and feel to it. I know that the intro and outro each story with kind of like an animated comic book, but I wish that was a little bit more of a part of it. I think um, the other two segments and they're in the same episode that I really like because they kind of what kind of tie into one another in a very loose way, but um, Bruce Davidson and night of the paw and uh, times is tough and musky holler, both again, directed by John Harrison um night of the paw is basically a adaptation or update of the monkey paws tale where this um mortician and his loses his wife through you know the make be careful what you wish for and this woman shows up on his doorstep she's running from the cops she's gravely injured um and he basically has engineered things through the wishes to get her to kill him so he can be reunited with his wife. There's a beautiful moment at the end where he's like, I can't kill myself because that's a mortal sin. And if I, if I kill myself and I can never be with my beloved wife again, mm-hmm. but if you kill me and I engineer it, that's okay. Um, that and, one, it just feels like, and, and it's maybe a cheesy thing to say when you're talking mm-hmm. about creep show TV series, but that, that segment just felt very like poetic to me. Mm-hmm. Like it has this kind of like innocence to it. And I think a lot of that has to do with not only Harrison's great direction, but I mean, Bruce Davison, I think it's one of the most underappreciated actors around. Right. I mean, everything from like his early work to like, like longtime companion is the movie that like my mom showed me when I was a kid mm-hmm. that opened my eyes to like what a lot of LGBTQ people had to go through because before that, you know, I had no experience with 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 that stuff because I was right. you know raised in a very like religious upbringing and that movie with Bruce Davidson it really made me like appreciate and respect what people you know other walks of life and other people that you know like I I I was a you know straight white male my whole life right. you know what I mean like I don't know firsthand what it's like to go through with a lot of stuff and I think films like that and Bruce Davison's great performance in that, or even like something more popcorny like X Men, or I mean, God, like Lords of Salem is my favorite Rob Zombie movie, and mm-hmm. he's great in that, and he yeah. is so heartbreaking in the segment. Right. You know, there's this, this you get very quickly, I think it establishes like a shared history between he and his wife, and the limited amount of time that she's on the screen, and just the way the story is told, like through kind of these like muted flashbacks. Um, is really heartbreaking overall and it essentially it's a zombie story and it ends with our um our female character trying to bring her dead husband back from the dead and she does so but she also brings everybody else back from the dead which i thought led directly into times is tough in musky holler um where you have this group of people that are in a jail cell uh, there's like su- this crowd noise all around them and it's basically a very kind of cautionary political tale about 
following somebody that has like too much bluster and no regard for the truth and will just kind of bully their way into power. And I wonder what they could be talking about there. I wonder, <laughs> right? you know, um, oh. but it, it, I thought it, it, uh, it's about how one town handled an outbreak of the undead and, you know, whether or not like their solution was actually much worse than the problem itself. But like many creep show episodes, you end up with people getting their just desserts. I love the zombie effects in this one. Yeah. I thought they were so fucking cool looking at the end. Um, when they're in, so again, I thought like those segments we mentioned out of the 12 were some of the highlights. They're all, all of them have moments that I think are worth, are worth watching overall. But, you know, those to me were the particular highlights. And I'm really excited that it's coming back for a second season. My understanding is it's going to actually debut on AMC first and then move to Shudder, um, much like the Nosferatu series yeah. did, where it like seems like something right up Shutter's alley, but because they're owned by AMC Studios, they're gonna debut first on the primary TV station and then eventually make their way to Shutter. See, I think that's cool, and I mean, I'm not speculating that uh, that I mean maybe their budget's gonna be bigger this season, but I mean if that's the case with AMC kind of like putting more of a focus on it this time around, mm-hmm. that's great because. During that panel that I went to, he was saying that that was one of the things that kind of hindered a lot for them. This this is they didn't have that big of a budget, so they had to try to think outside of the box. And I think they did a great job. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm super excited for season two. Yeah, and I think that will, if nothing else, it'll put more eyeballs on the product because mm-hmm. instead of being on a service that you have to subscribe to, um, it is you know on basically regular pay cable and. Who would have thought you in 2020 get Creepshow, the television series, is basically like a very hard R-rated horror show that's going to be on basic cable. It's kind of a wonderful world we live in right now. I think that all started with like NYPD Blue. (laughs) Do you remember how much shit that got because it showed a dude's butt once? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, you definitely had this shift like in the late 90s early 2000s where you had like the golden era of television where you know, hbo had the wire and the sopranos but yeah. then like you would have series like the shield on fx and this shift in what you could actually do and get away with on a television series like cursing and partial nudity and the violence that you're able to get away with which I'm all for it. I think that I'm not, you know, anything that allows you to tell your story in a way that feels kind of natural and, um, you know, it was always off-putting when you would watch like a dramatic show or, you know, a teen show and you would hear like, ah, poop, as opposed to yeah. how we actually talk in life. Totally. So do you have any final words on the Creep Show series before we you know. bed? I'd like to think that we have more hits than misses in the Creepshow oh, yeah. show franchise, which is a good feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I think with Lost Boys, we had such a strong first movie. The second one was the complete opposite. And the third one, it's all right. You know, it's, it's okay. cool. Yeah. But like I think Creepshow, you get a first movie that is a bona fide classic. You know, there's no argument like arguing with that. 
it's it's a classic. The second one, it has its issues. You know, it's it's a it's very dated, and uh, you know, I'll I'll argue that gigolo argument till death. Uh, but but you know it is. But it has movie. moments. It has it, moments. It does. It does. The third one, I think, is the only thing involved in the creep show legacy that is a bad misstep. Right. But I mean, we did get a return to form, like I said, with the TV show. So you know, I'm I'm excited. About it, it. I like. It. I would argue too that you would probably, if you were to poll. 90% of the people that know that Creepshow, the movie, exists, how many of them do you think know Creepshow 3 exists? I'd say 12. <laughs> yeah, like very few of them overall. It's not one of those things that's really well-known or well-regarded. It's hard to find on streaming. I had to subscribe yeah, to this like really tiny um, service that I had never heard of that I think I need to remember to cancel so I'm not billed for it every month. <laughs> Um, that's what I had to do in order to kind of like get, you know, be able to watch this movie at this point. But I would say overall, the creep show is a series has a lot more positive than negatives. You have that first movie, which to me is the best anthology horror movie of all time. And it was a springboard for a lot of other very cool projects in the 80s and 90s, like Tales from the Dark Side, the show and the movie, which I revisited last night for the first time since I think seeing it in high school with my cousin in the theaters. And I'm like, my, the only thing I remembered about that movie was like Christian Slater was in a segment with a mummy. And I mm-hmm. forgot like Deborah Harry is in it. And I forgot mm-hmm. about David Johansson as a hitman. Uh, and the gargoyle segment with Ray Don Chung, and I'm like, this movie is fucking awesome. Like, yeah. that's a, immediately gone to my like. I will watch this every Halloween season because yeah. um, I believe our friends over at Scream Factory have a special edition Blu-ray coming out in August. So, just in time for like the spooky season, uh, I'm going to be ordering that one up. Um, but you had so many cool projects that kind of sprung from the success of Creepshow, uh, which I think to this day is officially George Romero's biggest box office hit um, in terms of like when you, you know, I don't think you'll ever get an actual tally on how successful Night of the Living Dead is because of copyright issues and how many. It's just like Toby Hooper in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's so much, so many shenanigans with that movie, and in terms of like calculating how successful it actually is, you'll never get a real number. But I think Creepshow, if it's not his number one, it's the only movie he had that opened at number one, and it might be his most like profitable hit overall. But it's definitely up there. If it's not the most successful, it's definitely up there, and it's brilliant. I mean, to this day. It still is just so, so much fun to watch, and it's so yeah. much fun to see the legacy of this. So why don't we talk a little bit about what we have coming up over the next few weeks here? Uh, well, we have a side episode that we want to do kind of as a palate cleanser, and we're going to be putting a coal online to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were thinking a John Carpenter film, but not one of the kind of holy trinity wow. John Carpenter films. You know, like every podcast, including ours, has done Halloween you know, like everyone's talked about the thing and that kind of stuff. So we were thinking maybe one of the uh, 
uh, you know, like They Live or Starman or, or one of those. So we'll put a few of those up and see what people would prefer to hear about. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, I mean, we've gotten confirmation on the other thing. Are Like, should we wait to talk about that or... What are we? Oh, uh, we'll, we'll wait. Yeah, we okay, might we'll have like a one. nice thing for some wrestling fans cool, coming right? up. Um, <laughs> and then we'll see if, you know, sometimes yeah. these things fall through, but it yeah, could be a fun exactly. little bonus segment. Um, but our next big franchise we're going to cover, and the reason we're doing a side episode is because I need a little more time to just kind of really do some research and write some notes. And I feel like this is going to be like, you're going to want to kind of like, strap in and maybe like have a porta potty next to you for some of these episodes because we're going to be covering the alien franchise after uh we do a one-off john carpenter totally and we want to with the alien franchise when we do that uh it is almost as important to me as halloween is like I, i love those movies so much and we want to make those episodes as extensive and just enjoyable to listen to as much as possible I, whether it's through research or like guests i mean i know we want like nat brimmer to come back for at least one yeah. of those because i mean god i yeah. think terry and nat are coming on for our alien 3 episode yeah. and i need to like dig through the archives a bit and just reconfirm with some guests that said they wanted to come on when we got to alien how we're going to cover that is we're going to cover the core quadrology in alien um first then we're going to cover Prometheus and Covenant. We're going to save Alien versus Predator for when we eventually get to the Predator series. Yeah. So, I think I mean, just I'm, because. I'm excited. And I, I have the feeling that when we get to Alien 3, it's going to be very much like our Freddy versus Jason episode, where <laughs> we're going to talk more about what went into getting that movie made and what didn't happen versus the actual movie and that's going to be a two-parter for us i can already feel that coming just when i'm doing some reading and taking some basic notes that one will uh yeah that one will definitely i think be a two-parter and i also think that it'll maybe be one of not controversial because nothing we do is controversial we're a podcast you know silly but i mean I, I got a well, lot of in shit. year two, we are going to shift to become a white nationalist right. broadcast. So, <laughs> you know, we might stir some little bit. We're not doing yeah. that. Listen, no. Uh, uh, with Alien Three, I think it'll be a it'll be a fun one for listeners because I mean, I recently got a good amount of flack for for my feelings on it. Uh, I, me personally, I prefer Alien Three over Aliens. So, Alien Three will be. A, a love letter for, uh, as far as, like, from me. I love yeah. that movie with a passion. And I think I have a slight preference to that over Aliens, although we are due, like, an Aliens rewatch for Family Movie Night. Yeah. So that might kind of shift a little bit. Um, but I think Alien, a- Alien 3 is kind of due the Halloween 3 treatment. Yeah. As far it's, as I'm concerned. Oh, it really, I love it. It's really kind of do that kind of reevaluation. But, you know, one of the things that's it's interesting when you're going into looking at and how these movies are made like after the stunning success of aliens the main producers behind aliens were not super enthusiastic about in alien 3 they kind of felt like we just don't want to make another one we're kind of done um which seems so weird because aliens was such a runaway success that you're like let's milk this cash cow for as much as we can and it's especially the antithesis of like how movies are made now where like 
if you're going to pick up a property to make a movie, you better have a trilogy in it. Otherwise, studios aren't interested. Well, that and I mean, very quickly, because I mean, I'm sure we'll get into the episode everywhere, like everyone and everywhere had alien stuff when alien three was made even before that it seems like the movie itself is what wasn't the priority to studios i mean we had the arcade shooters we had an insane amount of wonderful alien dark horse comics Mm -hmm. i mean uh you had alien Alien genocide is one of my favorite yeah we have alien versus predator on like the atari jaguar system where you can either play an alien a predator or like a marine um yeah, things like that. It was like anything but making a movie. Um, William Gibson script was not used for that adaptation, but Gibson script they've gone on to kind of make an audio, a comic book and an audio um, series out of it on Audible. So I think I'm due to like restart my audible account just so i can get my hands on that uh, just so i can listen to it um because i think michael bain took part of it as well as some of the other people they had in mind for it overall and it's going to be in plus you're talking about you know david fincher's first movie his first experience feature film so you know uh right before he would go and it was a movie that he was so frustrated by that he almost quit uh, Hollywood at that point it was like this maybe it's not for me so uh, I think that's going to be fascinating to kind of talk about when we talk about the series as a whole so totally. um, to our listeners be on the um, lookout for that um, I just want to take a moment and say like thank you for such an incredible year like this has been I thought we might get like a hundred people a week or even a month listen to this and We've grown this really steady and dedicated listenership um, that have been just incredible. Like the way that they have, excuse me, interacted with our show and the feedback we get from them, um, it makes us a real joy to do, Uh, especially right now when things can be particularly difficult for everybody. Um, this has been such an incredible year, and I definitely wouldn't be doing it without Jerry, who to me is the heart of this show and the brains of the show as well, because I'm a doofus. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, know about that. Like, so, come on, research. You do research. You do great. You have a unique voice. Let's not do that. You're good. Uh, <laughs> I, in, in, well, I'll say this. like, I love our show, and I will – put what we do up against almost any other horror podcast um you know we're just two guys with cheap microphones and a cheap computer (coughs) you know we're not a big studio we don't have massive backing but what we have is an incredible passion for horror an incredible passion for the horror community and um this has led to some other opportunities for me Um, that I'm really excited to start exploring in the near future. Um, It's also led to some incredible new friendships overall, um, which I thought, you know, would not happen. Um, So it's been great. And to anyone who's, like, listened to us, who's interacted on Twitter, who's written a review, who has just mentioned the show to a friend... um, Thank you so much for the past year. I think we're really just getting started. 
we have another 29 or so years left in us. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, that's all I have to say. If you want to add Jerry, by all means. No, like all I can say is like, no, dude, like Mike reached out to me a year ago, asked if I wanted to maybe do a show. You know, we, we would record kind of like a, a test episode on Scream to see how it went. And it was so much fun. And, you know, anyone that has followed me on social media without going into details, like the, the last year has been so incredibly difficult on so much for, for me and, and just my life in general. The, like, I mean, you know, my family went through some really hard times. And, you know, doing the show kind of added, you know, like an hour or so of, you know, escape for that. I've, I've loved every single episode. You know, and I'm I'm excited to see what we do next. Me too. And there is not a better community of people out there than the horror community. Um, really, like, I know that there are a million different kinds of fandoms, and I have, like, my toes dipped in a bunch of them, but I don't think that there are a better group of people than the people that love horror movies with a kind of passion the people that spend hours a week listening to uh, horror podcasts do overall so thank you to all our listeners for your kindness and for everything else you do for us and we're going to sign off for now and we'll be back next week with a John Carpenter movie to be determined and here's to year two alright we're done man alright dude